0: Hi everyone, welcome to Lexicon. Our guest this episode is Bibob Cresta, the co-founder of Hyperloop Transportation Technologies. We discussed the revolutionary potential of Hyperloop technology and Bibob's vision for the future. He emphasized the technology's aim is to bring efficiency in transportation rather than just speed. Furthermore, we discussed the progress of the company. Bibob hinted at significant projects with the Italian government and the technology's energy-efficient design. In addition to the detailed insights into Hyperloop's development, Bibob shared personal anecdotes from his entrepreneurial journey and imparted advice for aspiring innovators. He envisions a future not only for Hyperloop but also for space technology, advocating for a space elevator as a means to preserve Earth's resources and pave the way for human exploration of other planets. So let's dive in. Hi, Bibob. Welcome
1: to Lexicon today. How are you doing?
2: Fine, thank you.
1: Well, let's get started. Tell me a little bit about yourself and what inspired you to pick up Hyperloop as your main subject area?
2: Well, I'm B. Gresta. I'm co-founder of Hyperloop TT, by far the largest uh, and also the oldest. Uh, We um, set up the company in 2013. the oldest company that actually tackled the difficult problem of uh, solving transportation and uh, we started up our company hyperloop tt in 2013 by having a vision basically having the possibility to actually mm, mm, put together the best minds in the planet to solve one of the biggest problems that uh, is uh, Facing uh, the entire humanity.
1: So what is that one problem? Is it the climate, or is it just transport in general?
2: <laughs> Transportation. You know, when when you are referring to hyperloop, usually you hear everybody speaking about the speed, but in reality, mm-hmm. the biggest disruption that we are bringing is efficiency—is transporting mm-hmm. people from point A to point B. At almost the speed of sound, but using a tiny fraction of the energy. And this is the biggest selling proposition, and this is actually what the world needs right now.
1: But we haven't really seen any active hyperloops per se, especially in countries like the US, the Western countries, and you know, all I know you've spoken about some visibility of hyperloops in China, but what does it exactly entail?
2: So uh, right now, we have been in a phase of, uh, let's say, developing the technology. And we, several companies, try to tackle the same problem. And uh, they are all at various stages of progress. Everybody Mm -hmm. is pretty much uh, done with a small or half or even full scale uh, prototype so each one of us has developed the main component of the technology what is missing right now it's a real line and this is actually what i'm uh, actually engaged on when i opened Hyperop Italia, is to actually bring the technology finally to fruition and certify it for people that means that after this last phase where we are able to roll out the entire technology for the entire planet
1: Oh, wow. How far along is it? So, we
2: have a, a first concrete project signed with the Italian government to build a line between Veneto and Padova, the Venice and Padova. And uh, the, the, there's a first piece that has to be delivered for the Winter Olympics 2026. But then we expand this little piece, 10 kilometers, to a complete line between Venice and Padua it means 38 kilometers and we're counting to have the first line be- before 2029 so we're not decades away anymore we yeah. are years away
1: oh wow and how um so you said 38 kilometers right how fast do you think will it take to reach
2: again this first line is not about speed it's about proving the concept uh, and being able to deliver it uh, in the uh, efficient way that we have designed mm-hmm. so this first line will be a small acceleration and deceleration will probably touch 500 kilometers per hour but it's not a full speed line the mm-hmm. we can test and show that we can reach 1,223 kilometers per hour, even in that short uh, uh, line, but without passengers.
1: Okay. I want to know a little bit more about your personal journey and what kind of got you into this whole area altogether since you were a young man in university perhaps or even school?
2: Yeah, I started when I was very young. Uh, when I was a child, I uh, was nine. My father bought a computer and a keyboard and said, Do whatever you want, but never touch this computer and the keyboard. <laughs> it's for work, not for game. And that became an obsession. You know, he closed these magic tools uh, in his uh, office uh, on the uh, top floor of the house. And me and my sister were actually climbing uh, with ladder <laughs> uh, a windows to enter in the studio and to actually touch this magic device. When I was 12, uh, he discovered that we were actually uh, developing and, and working on his computer, but it was too late. Uh, you know, I was more knowledgeable than him on this. <laughs> so we did a, a deal i was developing uh, software for him and in the same time he was paying my school to actually learn not as an amateur but as a professional and at 15 i became uh, the head of a, a multinational company uh, a software development uh, uh, head and in the same time that i was going to school so Long story short, I created the first uh, cross-media agency during the new economy, and I sold it for Telecom Italia for a lot of money. I was 28 with a substantial amount of money, let's say, and together with uh, another two partners, I created Digital Magics, that uh, in a few years became the largest incubator in Italy. We listed uh, the company, the stock exchange, after less than 15 years of uh, of uh, development but the good uh, thing that happened after that is with this experience and the uh, the money that i did uh, by listing the the company i was able to move to uh, us in los mm-hmm. angeles i was fulfilling my dream my american dream to actually uh work uh, in us to launch uh, uh a initiative and I was at the beginning i was thinking about doing something for humanity like a charity or something like that but then i found my future co-founder in an event he talked to me about uh, elon musk that few weeks before our meeting uh, launched this uh, hyperloop initiative he was talking about mm-hmm. doing through crowdsourcing. And uh, I looked at my business partner said, what's crowdsourcing? <laughs> and he said, you know, I want to do it by not raising money, raising brains, doing a call to action mm-hmm. for joining the team. But at the beginning, I was very arrogant. I, I thought of, I knew everything about startups. Mm-hmm. I said, listen, you're delusional. You want to do a... Uh, multi-billion dollar uh, infrastructure uh, company by doing crowd something? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because of my past experience in startups, I, I thought I knew everything about startup. But then I, I had to change my mind because um, what I saw there was bigger than even the hyperloop. It was a new generation of companies that can actually change everything. By just posting the Elon Musk white paper online, we received more than 100 requests from people all over the planet. There were people from NASA, SpaceX, Tesla, Boeing, Airspace, Lockheed Martin, MIT, Stanford. And they were not only telling us if it was doable, and why but if it wasn't doable in in parts of the document that elon published that wasn't doable two three solutions to the problem and that was really a a a, a sliding doors moment in my life because i realized that you can actually build companies in completely different ways and uh all of a sudden we created a structure out of that and uh, luckily enough uh, that became a case study uh, you know harvard did the two case study on my organizational model and uh, they are teaching crowdsourcing using our case study particularly proud of uh, hyperloop but also particularly proud of the way we have done it uh, using this new Um, revolutionary organization method now that we have more than a thousand uh, scientists uh, from 52 countries they are working on the hyperloop
1: and when you had just started did you just have i remember you saying it that talk around 500 scientists and now you have Wow, that's a big markup
2: yeah, we started with, uh, with a team of 100, but it became uh, 500 in the first year, and 800 in the second year. So we grow really fast. And uh, the beauty of that is like having a, a giant Wikipedia of people yeah. around the world that can answer to every problem that we were facing. This really boosted the R&D efforts.
1: How, so how does it work on like an everyday basis? All of these thousands of scientists contributing. How do you like do a practical progress every day? How do you check that? Yeah, we
2: form the teams in uh, basically sort of a scrum team. So we call it hyper leaders. There are three people uh, hyper leader, hyper master, and contributor. The hyper leader says what? The hyper master says how and when. And the contributor basically participate to the project. We build a small team, so seven people plus or minus two. We set up a specific task that usually doesn't last more than a couple of months. And then they sprint, they start to work on that. And one hyper leader in one team is a contributor in another team or an hyper master in one team is a uh, hyper leader in another team so it's really horizontal not mm-hmm. vertical and as soon as the task is solved this goes to the integration team then a pool of uh, experts decides what to integrate or what is discarded and not used mm-hmm. so we are able to actually tackle different problems with different uh, approach with different mm-hmm. And they are all in competition so they compete but they also the cooperate to actually solve these problems and uh, we developed uh, in 2017 a special artificial intelligence the reality is not that intelligence it is a, is a we call it lucy it's a system that basically you coordinate the teams around the world every end of the week before the upfront on monday she sends a mail asking to people, what have you done? And when the people put their progress uh, during the week, this goes to all the team members of their team. So they collectively approve the work of each other and this gets transformed into shares because for each hour worked, there is a corresponding number of shares that they can earn. Mm -hmm. So it's a very democratic system that is automatically assigned by lucy and uh, lucy also monitors the progress of the work and distributes tasks and also if you have a problem you can ask her there's probably someone in the company somewhere in the world that can answer to your question so it's very not super smart because uh, artificial intelligence now does much better but uh, very efficient
1: so in what ways do you embody the spirit of innovation, ethics and sustainable progress?
2: So I think you know the entire Hyperloop concept was designed uh, with the design criteria, that is sustainability. Sustainability for us is not a plugin, something that is embedded in the design of the Hyperloop. We were trying to solve one problem without creating another 10 we had this amazing possibility to start from scratch. We know an airplane, we know the car, we know the boat, we know the train. We are a fifty mm-hmm. transportation. So we could benefit of the mistakes of these four past industries to actually embed something that is completely new, but can also be designed with the twenty first century technologies in the twenty first century so Mm -hmm. for example we are led by best practices you know if we want to see how we can implement renewable energy in efficient way we don't have to invent anything we just have to go and see how they did it in other countries and apply Mm -hmm. best practices to the design of this new system one paramount design criteria is to be energy positive. What does it mean? We are not violating any law of physics. It's simply that the sum of the energy produced should be bigger than the sum that we consume. And mm-hmm. this approach can be applied to everything. You know why the rail system did not provide Solar panel on top of all the rails. In order to actually uh, uh, increase the efficiency of the rail, the rail are totally inefficient. For one hundred kilowatt uh, distributed on the rail line, only ten to fifteen percent goes to the main uh, uh, train. The rest is dissipated along the uh, the electric lines. So why why they're doing this? So we are trying to be efficient, uh, even in design, applying technology that already exists.
1: What kind of, um, so is it just solar energy that you're looking at, or, and what other kind of energies are you looking to see in the Hyperloop technology? We are integrating
2: a, um, a set of renewable energy. We're talking about solar energy, wind energy, kinetic energy. So the capsule that moves uh, can actually generate electricity. The regenerative braking also can produce electricity. And in some climates where the solar panels are not efficient, we use geothermal. The combination Mm. of this can create up to 30% more energy than we consume.
1: But do you think that that kind of approach requires certain climate and certain certain environments, or it can be applied anywhere?
2: Absolutely not. Mm, uh, That's why we use a combination of mix of any electricity, we proved that, that even in, in uh, uh, climates where the solar panels are not efficient, like Canada, for example, in mm. a study we demonstrated that we were able to produce from five to ten percent more electricity than we consume. For a single line, it means that we, if we are powering only hundred kilometers line, we can power thirty thousand houses. In addition to the energy that we produce uh, with the hyperlink
1: Wow, I'm just wondering why have people not adopted this approach before? Why have they not looked at this before?
2: Well, that's these technologies are very long to implement uh, thanks mm-hmm. to the uh, life cycle of, uh, the, uh, of the projects. We are always talking about 30, 40 years long project you know, the, the the rail system was implemented after 40 years of development. Forty. So yeah. it's a very mm-hmm. long process to implement a new transportation system. But I have to admit that in the last 10 years uh, we have done giant steps forward. And if you think about it, it's only 10 years that we opened Hyperloop uh, OpenT, mm-hmm. the first company, we are already d- discussing an implementation of, of the first line. So it is a long time, but in the same time, it's not that much.
1: Mm. Do you think AI may have helped with the fast progression?
2: Yes, it gave us an help, but there was also COVID that gave us a big stop. For two years, there was a, a giant mm. uh, um, slowdown. So mm-hmm. we can compensate the two. <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. But I would also imagine that during COVID, since you did cloud sourcing, aren't all your employees remotely working anyway? So yes, they must
2: have. Yes, for, for our company, I have to admit that the, the the project side were stopped, but the R&D wasn't. So we were mm-hmm. really lucky enough to be able to continue. At the end of the day, we have had the smart working since day one. <laughs> yeah. We almost invented smart working because we were a smart company. So um, there were some local problems because we've had offices all over the world. We have offices in Europe, uh, UAE, um, South America, North America. We were opening a, an office in India, but and that was completely stopped. But the rest of the operations, the R&D, was, was almost boosted during COVID
1: interesting yeah so you seem like someone who's very futuristic i can i can already tell like at the age of 15 you created a software and so I that's was,
2: actually yeah. define myself as presentistic not <laughs> <'cause> I, <laughs> I always try to be present in the moment and not think. but yeah, yeah. Also the vision of the future if you can if you can represent what I feel I am, I am like the Janus, the old Greek mythological figure that has two heads. One head looks at the future and the other head looks at the past. And that's how I built the the entire Hyperloop ecosystem. Always be grounded in the past to deliver the future.
1: Wow, that's a great explanation. So. Uh, i wanted to ask you can you describe a futuristic scenario with the hyperloop technology and how the world would look like when it's actually active like in a lot of areas not just the first one
2: okay so i have to describe you the the second phase of the hyperloop at the beginning, yes. you're imagining a capsule that is inside the tube that moves at almost the speed of sound bringing people from point a to point b will mean that you don't have enough time to finish a movie <laughs> but in a second phase i imagine i foresee this capsule to evolve mm. in agents and these agents are very smart they do very amazing things they enter and exit the, the tube through pressurization so these agents are capable of exiting the tube pick you up at home they can fly they can go underwater they can join in a sort of advanced buses or trains and they can ride in normal highways but in this sense they're capable of being polymodal and intermodal with the existing infrastructures. And by saying that, uh, I'm, I'm talking about a full solution that can be basically point to point, bring you even in front of your house. We're talking a personalized environment with smart cars that can be shareable among people that can be interoperable uh, with uh, freight cargo special transportation like trash or uh, contaminant material and they can all travel inside this hyper highway that will be built underground so my vision for the future is a beautiful future where we are completely dismantling our let's say traditional way to conceive transportation no more cars around the globe uh, no more uh, polluting boats but a a, a, a storm of uh, smart agents that can be enhanced through these uh, hyper highways underground and that's how i foresee the future
1: Wow. I can't wait for that future, though, honestly. Me too. <laughs> so do you have any advice for youngsters who are trying to also be like you, be prodigious and start their own thing? So if you're
2: young, let's say up to 25, I would say don't focus. Exactly the opposite of everything is uh, all the mentors are repeating uh, to young people focus 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 i would say don't don't do it try as much as you can if you have a passion for something try something else <laughs> you need to exit from the comfort zone try different things and then bring it to your passion if you, you can't innovate, if you are in your bubble, and usually it's an information bubble, clean your cookies every week. <laughs> Don't allow Google to suggest you what you like. Don't allow YouTube to suggest you what you like. Don't allow any anyone or anything to suggest you what you like. So clean your, your cookies every week and try new things. After, when you vibrate and you get inspired by different things, put it together and then focus on your passion. That is the results of a complete new blue ocean. And that's how you disrupt and you innovate. That's my little five cents to a young person or a young entrepreneur.
1: That's really great advice and quite practical, actually, and also, lastly, um, is there any other technology that you hope to see apart from Hyperloop, that, and you're excited for it?
2: Yeah, I am. Probably, after delivering to the world the Hyperloop, I will be focusing on another little passion that I have: that is a space. And I think to become really multiplanetary, the rocket technology it's a transition technology it was very very useful outside the planet but not from the planet to the um, space so we need a space elevator and we need to build it as fast as we can i think we have now the technology to do it and um if uh, nobody does it i will
1: (laughs) (laughs) so what kind of technology are you referring to That that we have to
2: it's a space elevator imagine a giant cable with a cabin capable of transporting 150 tons and up because below 150 tons uh, we will probably use the rockets but uh, above uh, that is the, the killer application and uh, it's uh, this cabin is capable of going up and down our atmosphere and bring payloads outside the atmosphere. This will allow us to be a space fair in civilization, colonize uh, different planets, and become multiplanetary species. And that's what we need to do.
1: Is that like also your way of kind of tackling the climate crisis?
2: Absolutely. You know, all the mining should not happen on Earth. It's very stupid you know you see ants the ants takes uh, the uh the need outside it's uh, uh, uh anside if you take out the resources from your anside you destroy it right so that's stupid what we are doing to this planet we should bring mm-hmm. we we should enhance this planet not destroy it and that's what we are doing with our most precious resources water mm-hmm you know, the rare earths and so on and so forth. So all the dirty stuff should be outside the planet. We can do it. With a space elevator, we can accelerate it.
1: Okay. I hope you certainly do. And if the world does not, I hope you certainly get there. Thank you so much for this conversation and I'm so glad to have spoken
0: with you and be our guest on Lexicon.
2: It's a pleasure.
0: A huge thanks to Bibop for providing us with a glimpse into the future. We eagerly anticipate witnessing further advancements towards a more sustainable future through the evolution of Hyperloop technology. And thanks to you all for listening.